Okay, it's time to commit. 2024 is the year for prioritizing yourself. Begin your new smile journey with Byte, and you could start seeing results in just two to three weeks. Just order your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95 at Byte.com. Byte Clear Aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces. Plus, they offer financing options, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA, FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot com. Start your confidence journey today with Byte. That's not just the sound of that first sip of Morning Joe. It's the sound of someone shopping for a car on Carvana from the comfort of home. That's a good blend. It's time to take it easy, like answering some easy questions to get pre-qualified for a car in minutes. Talk about starting the morning right. Just like customizing your terms so your car fits your budget. Mm, mm, mm. Visit Carvana.com or download the app to experience car shopping the way it should be. Convenient. Comfortable. Ah. Welcome to the Caixin Seneca Business Brief, a joint podcast from The China Project and Caixin Global. We bring you the most critical business and finance news from China. I'm Kaiser Guo from the Seneca Podcast, part of the China Project. In this week's episode, Evergrande's offshore debt restructuring hits another roadblock. CATL's revolutionary battery has its eye on electric flight. A Chinese city is paying civil servants in digital yuan, and China's president affirms the country's commitment to peace in Ukraine. Get ready for a fast-paced and informative ride through the hottest topics in business and geopolitics. Let's jump right in. China Evergrande Group's continued efforts to restructure its multi-billion dollar offshore debt have encountered yet another obstacle as U.S. law firm White & Case has started organizing investors who are unhappy with reduced returns and deferred repayments. Caixin learned that the law firm organized a meeting earlier this month for offshore creditors to discuss a restructuring proposal that had not been signed by all parties involved. The debt-ridden property giant stated that the restructuring proposal had won the support of the members of an ad hoc group of investors. This group collectively holds over 20% of Evergrande's outstanding U.S. dollar bonds. Despite the group's support, Evergrande still needs to secure the approval of at least 75% of bondholders for the plan to move forward. The debt swap option of the proposed deal involves longer maturities and lower interest rates. On the other hand, under this debt-to-equity option of the proposal, creditors can swap their debt for instruments that can be converted into shares of Evergrande or its property service unit or its new energy car unit. All three are listed in Hong Kong. But Evergrande and the two units suspended trading of their shares in early 2022. If they cannot resume trading by October, they will face delisting, and it may also impact the success of the debt restructuring plan. Meanwhile, there may be external factors such as regulatory approvals waiting down the road for the property developer as well. Now let's take a look at the telecoms industry. Huawei is replacing Oracle's enterprise IT management software with its own self-developed version as part of its efforts to reduce dependence on U.S. technologies. 
The telecom gear maker's dependence on Oracle became unsustainable after the Texas-based company stopped providing upgrades and on-site technical services following the U.S.-imposed trade curbs in 2019. As the most extensive and complex transformation project Huawei has ever undertaken, the company committed three years and thousands of staff to develop its own enterprise system known as Meta Enterprise Resource Planning, or Meta ERP. The replacement is in line with Beijing's objective to reduce reliance on foreign suppliers and develop self-sufficiency in key technologies. Now let's switch to the battery-making sector. China's CATL introduced its most powerful battery to date last week, stating that it has the potential to power electric aircraft in the future. The new battery, which packs more power into a smaller package, boasts a higher energy density of 500 watt-hours per kilogram, almost twice the capacity of its predecessor, which is capable of powering an electric vehicle for up to 620 miles on a single charge. CATL's new technology, which it calls a condensed-state battery, has the potential to become a breakthrough that could help electrify sectors that rely heavily on fossil fuels, as existing batteries are either too heavy or unsafe. Still, questions remain about the materials it will use, its cost, and the impact it will have on the market. The battery maker plans to commence large-scale production of the new cell, which will primarily be used in cars. According to its chief scientist, CATL is working with an undisclosed partner to develop a civilian electric aircraft using the technology. Next up, let's dive into the latest about China's digital currency. According to a government document, starting in May, employees of local governments, state-owned enterprises, and public institutions in Changshu will receive their salaries in ECNY, the country's digital currency. Changshu is a county-level city under Suzhou, a city neighboring Shanghai. Other parts of Suzhou have already utilized the digital yuan for a variety of purposes, including paying the salaries of state employees. China's central bank has been developing the digital currency since 2014. As of August, the total transaction volume of eCNY exceeded 100 billion yuan. Let's turn to domestic travel as this year's Labor Day holiday has just begun. Demand for hotel rooms and plane tickets during the five-day holiday is set to surpass pre-pandemic levels of 2019, according to industry data, indicating a recovery in China's domestic travel industry after Beijing lifted its zero-COVID restrictions. As of Tuesday, the number of domestic hotel reservations made for the long holiday on Chunar.com, one of China's largest online travel platforms, was 20% higher than the total orders placed during the same period in 2019. Competitor Trip.com saw a similar surge in demand. According to the Civil Aviation Administration, pent-up tourism demand has spurred plane ticket sales. As of April 21st, Chinese airlines had sold more than 6 million tickets for both domestic and international trips during the holiday. Last but definitely not least, we turn to the highly anticipated phone call between the Chinese and Ukrainian presidents. President Xi Jinping reassured his Ukrainian counterpart Volodymyr Zelensky that China will make efforts to promote talks 
and help restore peace in Ukraine. During the call, the Chinese leader emphasized that mutual respect for sovereignty and territorial integrity is the political foundation of China-Ukraine relations. He also said that China will send special representatives on Eurasian affairs to Ukraine and other countries to establish in-depth communication with all parties involved to facilitate a potential political settlement of the Ukraine crisis. Xi's Ukrainian counterpart called the meeting long and meaningful, saying it will give a powerful impetus to the development of the two countries' relations. During a trip to Moscow in March, Xi met with Russian President Vladimir Putin. In a joint statement, the two leaders called on parties to halt actions that could result in escalation and prolonged conflict. In February, China presented a 12-point proposal to end the Ukraine war. The document, which was endorsed by the Kremlin following Xi's visit, reiterated respect for the sovereignty of all countries and called for an end to unilateral sanctions. Let's turn now to Jonathan Breen, who covers Asia-Pacific equity capital markets for Caixin Global. Hello, Jonathan, and welcome back to the show. Thanks, Kaiser. It's great to be here, as always. So let's talk about a story that you worked on recently, a U.S.-led pact to curb exports of semiconductor gear to China. That's right. So following the U.S.'s sweeping chip restrictions announced in October, Japan said in late March that it would impose export restrictions on 23 types of equipment used to make semiconductors. The Netherlands announced its own move that was similar to that in early March, saying it would expand restrictions on exports of advanced chip-making technology. And do we know exactly what kind of semiconductor gear we're talking about? Yes. So the Netherlands curbs are expected to affect sales of ASML's most advanced chip-making equipment, and that's immersion deep ultraviolet equipment, or DUV lithography systems, which can significantly boost wafer production efficiency. ASML is, I think without doubt, the world's leading chip-making machinery supplier. I see. So we're all concerned about the impact of these curbs on China. Is it quite as bad as it sounds? Indeed it is. So industry experts said that Without access to DUV systems, any hopes of breaking into 7 nanometer technology by China's chip makers like SMIC and Huahong Semiconductor would definitely be diminished in the near term, making it much harder for the country to achieve its so-called semiconductor self-reliance. However, China's status as the world's largest semiconductor market means that it still has room to maneuver. Interesting. Would you mind breaking that down a little more for us? So while the US, the Netherlands, and Japan combined have a near monopoly in the global chip equipment market, Chinese companies are some of their largest clients, particularly for Japanese manufacturers of lithography machines. For example, for ASML, the Chinese mainland was the company's third largest market last year accounting for close to 14% of its net sales. Whereas Japanese chip equipment makers, such as Tokyo Electron, Nikon, and Canon, are even more reliant on the Chinese market. For its fiscal year ending March 2022, 
Tokyo Electron generated more than a quarter of its sales from China, making the country its largest individual market. China is also the largest market for Nikon, which made more than a quarter of its sales from the country during the 2022 fiscal year. And overall, China has grown into Japan's largest export market for chip-making gear. So is there any way these companies can actually keep doing business with China at all? Well, some people certainly believe that. The director of the Japan-China Economic Association, Manubu Takamisawa, said that despite sanctions, affected companies may still find ways to do business with China. He said that for Japanese firms, one way is to set up factories locally, which would be used to ramp up sales into the Chinese mainland. Some Japanese companies have already begun splitting up business teams to serve the Chinese and other overseas markets separately. In fact, the export restriction plans were met with some resistance in their respective countries, sources told Saishin. In Japan, some in the Ministry of Foreign Affairs were hesitant to join this US campaign as they feared that it would hurt diplomatic relations with China. And in the Netherlands, there has also been resistance from people in the industry and the government. I'm also aware that some believe that the export curbs could actually accelerate progress in China's domestic chip-making industry, just lighting a fire and really incentivizing it. Yes, this was a view that was certainly espoused by China's foreign minister, Qin Gang, during his April meeting with his Japanese counterpart, Yoshimasa Hayashi, in Beijing. Qin said that the blockade will only further stimulate China's determination for independence and self-development. In January, while speaking out against the export curbs, ASML CEO Peter Wenning said that the export control measures against China could eventually push Beijing to successfully develop its own technology in advanced chip making. Really interesting indeed. Thank you so much, Jonathan, for all of that. You're welcome, Kaiser. It's been great talking to you. Great talking to you too. And that's it for this week. Thanks for listening. The Tsaishin Seneca Business Brief was produced this week by Kaiser Guo and by Leila Hashemi, Lin Jinbing, and Zinzan Wang at Tsaishin Global. Special thanks to Li Xin of Tsaishin Global. Thanks to Spring and Autumn for the music. Check out some of the other great podcasts in the Seneca Network, like the amazing China in Africa podcast and Strangers in China. And for daily news and views, make sure to subscribe to Access from The China Project. Again, thanks for listening, and we'll see you next week. Take care. <laughs>